episode of Yes Girl Podcast is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. Ulta Beauty celebrates the meaningful role of beauty in our lives and the belief that beauty is limitless. That's why they've teamed up with Essence on a new mentoring initiative called Girls United Beautiful Possibilities. The program aims to empower six incredible young women as they express their entrepreneurial spirit, creativity, and passion for beauty while they create a special makeup collection for Ulta Beauty. You can follow the girl's journey at essence.com slash beautiful possibilities. Ulta Beauty, the possibilities are beautiful. Rolling, rolling. Good people. As you're listening in your earphones right now, mm. did you hear that little mmm? I feel like I've been living with this person all last week in L.A. Because every time I walked out of my hotel room, there was his billboard <laughs> right outside <laughs> on Sunset. What did you do, Roy Woods Jr., the first time you saw this billboard? Yo, so the first billboard I was ever on by myself mm-hmm. was my first Comedy Central one-hour special. Same billboard, Sunset. In La Cienega. Sunset Strip. Yep, Sunset mm-hmm. in La Cienega. Above the pink dot alcohol store. That is. Um, my first one hour special, Father Figure. And mm-hmm. that one was one where my son was on the cover. So my son is on the billboard with me. It's me holding my son. Oh, wow. And so I pulled over and we stopped, got him out the car seat. And I'm like, who is that up there? And he's just like, it's me. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's your daddy. You're up there as well, but... Mainly me, <laughs> rude child. Uh, it, it was, it's a blessing, you know, and that's something that has always been, it, it's not something that you would think would mean a big deal because it's not something you think about, but then yeah. when you see it, you go, oh, dang, that's dope. So for them to, for Comedy Central to now be two years later mm-hmm. and for them to still see fit to put me in charge of another storytelling show on the network. Mm-hmm. That's that's just a blessing. And now I'm to the point now where the photos are on top of cabs and bus benches. That's right. and, and now I'm in the subway. Now I'm scared. Because <laughs> once you're in the subway, now it's vandal land. Now I'm scared people. That, somebody put a mustache on me. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But you know, these, these, you, I'll just leave it right there. You know and they can, can draw still... some stuff on your face if they want to. Especially in New York. It's not pleasant. Yes. It's not... <laughs> can you still take the subway? Oh, hell yeah. I ain't Trevor Noah. I'm just a correspondent on the show. Like, listen, I'm a cor- That's what I try to explain to people. I'm a correspondent on The Daily Show. Correspondent <laughs> means you still get to mill about with the people. Okay. Trevor Noah can't take the subway. No, he can't. I mean, he can, but he's going to be sitting there all day answering people's questions. He's going to miss his stop. He's going to end up somewhere in Connecticut, still on and the he's train. Like, where was I? I thought I was. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you know, people come up and, you know, they, they're very complimentary mm-hmm. of the show and of my comedy when they do stop. And you know, black folks, black people are different on the compliment tip. Like black people don't really break stride. They just kind of walk past you. They go, I see you brother. Yes. And, and keep it moving. <laughs> or they might snap up. They might want to take a picture, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not quite, I'm not take a picture type yeah. vibe. It's just, yeah, man, I see you doing it. All right, man. People treat me like an old friend they met from high school who got their life together. <laughs> hey, Roy. Look at Roy over there. Man, you know what, man? You done came a long way. I used to listen to you, Ricky Smiley, with them prank calls. 
How Ricky Smiley doing? I, I don't know. I don't work in the same city. Yeah, that was an entry. Well, point. tell Ricky Smiley. I said, hey, like that's how black people treat you. They give you errands to, to take to other people. It's never let's get a selfie. It's, man, next time you see Tom Joyner, tell him I said I, I don't see Tom Joyner very often. You're like I have my own show. I have like two right now. Tell Trevor Noah next time I see Trevor Noah, man, you tell Trevor Noah I'm from Africa too. It's a lot of people from Africa, sir, and I just don't really feel like that's a connected conversation for me to take back to my boss. I don't no. really think that that's how, how it's supposed to go. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what I get okay. right now. And, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful yeah. for anybody that's touched by my comedy. The stuff that I really enjoy, um, we used to do USO tours. I did, for about a five-year stretch, I went to the desert for mm -hmm. two weeks every year for five years. Oh, wow. Just doing shows at bases and, mm -hmm. you know, everywhere from Baghdad all the way over to like Afghanistan and like just oh, wow. all of the crazy spots. Mm -hmm. And um, when troops come home, like every now and then, and it's, it's not often, but when it happens, it's the most meaningful because you'll just be in a mall. Yeah. You'll be waiting in line for a Wetzel's pretzel and some dude will come up, man, tell you something, man, 2011. I was in Camp Barron in Kuwait, and y'all came out and told some jokes in the cafe on base. I appreciate that, man. That meant a lot to us and helped us get through. Tell Trevor Noah I said, hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they get you. So, you know, that, that type of, those types of interactions mm -hmm. uh, definitely are very meaningful. And, of course, you know, for having done morning radio for the length of time that I did, and with the prank phone calls and Ricky Smiley still plays him to this day, that's a different type of listenership and appreciation. I think radio is the most meaningful because this people forget that someone is in their car or they're on their journey in the morning. That 30 to 45 minutes, that is precious time. Yes. And who you choose to entertain you, you're choosing me to feed and fuel your energy for the day like i'm not trying to get all yoga chakra yeah, no, yeah. energy vibe but you're trusting me mm -hmm. to make you smile before you go off into your eight hour shift yeah. and that's something that i just you know i i just it's something i, I value because that's every damn day and so i appreciate those people i never forget my mom once in la um she came to visit me while i was working for the week and she um steve Hart. this is when steve Harvey was, was like peak Steve Harvey and she had to pull over to listen to him and she said she had to keep herself from laughing like she had to pull over before <laughs> she had an accident and I'll never forget that because I was like oh my god my mom had like a happy moment you know yeah. but I, I appreciate that well speaking of your days on radio I read this piece on Blavity and the headline got me because it says that you almost lost your bag playing rap at a gospel mm. station so please tell us this story so, on a random Sunday morning, we played a song by 8-Ball and MJG for six hours straight on a gospel station. Six hours. Sunday morning? Sunday morning. What song? It, uh, Candy. Okay. By 8-Ball and MJG. Now, there's, um, this is a, back, so backstory, this is what mm -hmm. you need to understand. Mm -hmm. At radio station, every radio station is clusters. So mm -hmm. it's never one radio station by itself. It's mm -hmm. a bunch of different genres all in the same building. And in this building in Birmingham, we had gospel, rock, 
news. Um, we had rap and then we had R&B. So all of the songs for all of the radio stations are saved on the same server. Back in these days, every song for all state, which means you could walk in a rap station and play a gospel song. You just pull it up and just mm-hmm. hit play. Mm-hmm. So when you're working a radio station on a Sunday during the day, it's your job to make sure that the songs in the song log match what's in the computer. There's a okay. printed log that shows you every commercial. Everything that happens on the radio is printed on a sheet of paper. Okay. So it's your job to match the computer with the sheet of paper. So there's a gospel artist named Candy, and I see Candy in the computer. I see Candy on the paper. I type, I don't see Candy in the computer. I go, okay, well, we got to add Candy because Candy's on the paper, but it's not in the computer. Got to add Candy. I just type in Candy. But instead of typing in Candy, the artist, I typed in Candy, the song, and put that thing in the station computer. And these are these old-ass computers. And this is 2004, (laughs) and we're still running a Maestro automated system that operates on Windows 98. So it's a little glitchy. Yeah. And so the way the computer is set up is if there's a glitch, the computer is set to play the last song that was playing until the on-air computer properly resets. That way there's never any dead air. It's a fail-safe to keep your station from going dark. Mm-hmm. So while 8-Ball and MJG is playing, the computer <laughs> crashes. I'm not in the room anymore because I'm up the hall checking the other computers to make sure all the other computers are doing what they're supposed to do. And it played Candy on a loop. For four hours. Four hours straight. <laughs> Just like candy. <laughs> hey, candy. And if you've never heard the song before, if you don't listen to rap, the entire song is celebrating candy-coated paint and shiny rims. It's literally, <laughs> literally the only song by 8-Ball MJG that you could accidentally play on a gospel station Okay. and get away with it. There's no cursing. I thought it was something There's no misogyny. Different. There is no violence. There is no murder. There is no drug dealing. It is strictly, I have a candy-coated car, and it makes me feel good about myself, and I'm going to drive this car around the hood and show it to everyone. And that's literally all the song is about. Here's the best part, Corey. (laughs) For the next week on the gospel station, the most requested song was candy. candy. (laughs) Because everybody loved it. Finally got everything straight on the computer about 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning mm. on gospel stations in, in the South, gospel stations in the South, we live stream church okay, services. That's true. That, yeah. So you mm-hmm. just listen to church services on the radio. Mm-hmm. We cut off candy, put on the church service. Somebody called up. Why y'all turn off to me and tell them about the candy? That's a good song about the Lord's blessings raining down upon you. I said, you know what? Y'all save my job. <laughs> nobody, Feedback. Nobody knew till I told the story. Wow. Nobody knew. I love that. Thank but you for sharing. That's what that's what life is about. That Once you're safe and you can get away. You're going to see what else you can do. Yeah, I'll tell you about all the stuff I messed up. I used to work at Golden Corral. I stole a box of catfish nuggets. Got home, realized I didn't have a way to deep fry them. So I took them back to the store. <laughs> Put them back in the freezer. Oh, my God. Salmonella. Yeah, you're right. That might have been violated. That, that would have some help. Some, um, yeah. But nobody was yeah. sick. No one called in. I sick. never opened them because I got to the house and realized true. I had no way to cook them. <laughs> so I just took them back. See, I mean, they were sitting in the car about 20 minutes on the ride back to the cross town. Okay. Get back. I don't know. Now, I want to get back a little bit into your past because 
something that happened in your past really sets you up for your future. But first, I want to run quickly through your receipts because you have a Comedy Central special right now called No One Loves You. Yes. That you can watch. For yeah. free on ComedyCentral.com. And it's free for, I think, until like the end of March. No login, no email, no drama. Just Ooh, click play. you don't got to get my email. None of that. And my subscribe, my cable scribe in. All right, good. Yeah, none of that. And you're the host of This Is Not Happening. Correct. You're on stand-up. You've been profiled in the New York Times several times. That was a nice of me. There was even a beautiful one about your, um, your girlfriend and your son, how you spend your Sundays. Oh, yeah, the Sunday routine. And then you've been, I, I was reading last night your piece on Grub Street. You, you eat a lot of donuts. I eat way too much. I got to cut it out. <laughs> I just had a root canal last night. Ooh. So yeah, too much coffee and too donuts. Much, yeah. yeah, it caught up with me. I'm 40. I gotta stop. I gotta stop. You've hosted the Writers Guild of America East Guild Awards. You're a correspondent on The Daily Show. You've hosted the Essence Festival. Yes. We love you. Fam you. HBCU. Yes. Birmingham. Yes. All black, of this. Black, 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 black. I like how it started out. The, the receipt started out. Well, you've done these programs, and then fam, you and Birmingham and Essence Festival. Yeah, boy. Yeah. You like cornbread too? <laughs> cornbread is a receipt if you can make it right. Yeah. From scratch. Yeah. So Not yeah, no I've box. done all those things, man. I've been, I've been very blessed. I'm probably, I live a life that's very undeserving, you know. So I just try to do the best I can with it. Well, let's go back to a moment in your life. You were arrested, which I was oh, shocked yeah. to hear. Yeah. But, that, but I love this story. That, so tell us briefly what happened, but how it set you up. So I had a work study in the post office at FAMU. So my work study was to sort mail. I was a mail sorter. Mm -hmm. So the mail comes in in those big white bins off the truck. My job is to put the mail in your mail in your P.O. box. So the little card you get from grandma, I'm the one that put it in there. Mm -hmm. And I got the bright idea. And this is 98. I think I'm 18 or 19. And back in those days, and people, people can't even fathom this now, but there was a time in this country where if you applied for a credit card and you were approved, when they mailed you the credit card, it was already activated That's right. in the envelope. There was no 800 number to call and punch in your social and your billing zip code. No. In this envelope is a credit card that I could literally walk across the street to the mall and buy $500 worth of jeans mm -hmm. and sell them for $250 <laughs> on campus and make me a little bit of money. And so that's what I was doing. And so I got caught and I ended up on probation for three years. And so in that journey, in getting the, from the time I got arrested to the time I got sentenced, it was about five months. And so in that five months was the thought of, wow, I'm going to go to prison. That's what my lawyer told me. My lawyer mm -hmm. said, you're yeah, Especially back then, you're from in the South too? In Florida? And you Ooh. facing five-year mandatory in Florida? You, you facing five <laughs> in Florida, they give you nine. So funny, but. he goes, you facing five, they'll probably give you three, you'll do a year and a half. So tie mm -hmm. up any loose ends you have in your life. And that's what I, I'll never forget that night. He said, with a straight face, tie up any loose ends you have in your life. And so that will kind of send you down a little depressed road. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I started doing stand-up comedy to deal with the depression. And it was something I always wanted to do. I just never had the guts. But when you know your life is going to end yeah. in jail, because that was the other thought. I'm going to jail and die. Because I'm not 
fighting. I'm not doing anything that will keep me from. No, I'm not doing nothing. You just got to kill me, man. Go get your knife. I'll be waiting here patiently. Come on back and stab me with your toothbrush, Shank. So that with that idea in my head, that set me out on this journey to, I don't know if it was to, ultimately I did find myself, but in that five months, I started working. Mm-hmm. I started working the road. I was suspended from school as a result as well. But I got suspended from school before, I got suspended from school after I got my financial aid disbursement. So oh, wow. essentially I was like literally the same week, I got a check for $7,000 to pay for class. Yeah. And then I got a letter saying, you're suspended from class. Well, if I'm suspended, I'm not going to give you the same thing. No, you're not. And if I'm going to die in five months, I got Mm $7,000. You ever seen that movie? Was it the old Richard Pryor movie, Brewster's Millions? Yes. Where he got a million dollars and he has to spend it on on anything silly? It was the same thing, only with Mm $7,000. So essentially what I was given was five months off in what was probably the most scared and sad I've ever been. To this day, it is the most scared and sad I've ever been. But I had $7,000 worth of front money to start my stand-up comedy career. So I used the student loan money to just greyhounds and hotels all over the South. Because in the South, open mic is once a month in most cities. Mm -hmm. So outside of Atlanta, you only get on stage once a month. So to perform every week, you got to travel. So I just started traveling and doing stand-up. And that was... That was my thing. Yeah. Get to court five months later, I get probation. Do a letter, do a couple of goodwill. My mom pulled a lot of strings, got me reinstated in college, got my degree, and kept cooking. And like that was, and you know, and, and during that time, that was where, you know, I had a probation officer that that cared enough to understand what the comedy meant to me. Mm-hmm. So I was given some leniency on travel to be able to go out of state to tell jokes. And that was really part of the journey. And I didn't really have, I didn't have a choice but to go into comedy out of college because I had essentially forfeited every, every internship. Every journalistic internship that I could have gone on, I blew because I was just out doing stand-up. Was that your major? Journalism? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So broadcast. Mm-hmm. So when I got out with my degree in broadcast, it happened to be the same year that Ricky Smiley left Birmingham to start his radio show in Dallas that would eventually become the syndicated thing that it is now. Mm-hmm. So when Ricky left Birmingham, it was like the perfect, I just, you know, my life is just a series of undeserved blessings one after another. I'm a comedian who also has a degree in broadcast. you got to hire me, fam. You got to. Yeah. And so that's, and that's where things just started building, you know, one block after another. That's why the sitcom that I'm working on now with Comedy Central, it's, um, it's loosely based around that time period. The sitcom is basically, it's about two probation officers handling their caseload down south. And when you really think about recidivism and why a lot of brothers get sent back to jail, a lot of sisters too, get sent back to jail, a lot of it boils down to the judge and the PO. Mm. Like, you can have this justice system. We say it's a justice system, the system, the system. But a lot of it just comes down to the decision of one person. Yeah, One person can just decide you're trash and send you back to jail. Mm-hmm. And everyone else takes that one person's opinion 
as law. So I wanted to create a television show that really shows what happens when you give people who deserve second chances. What happens when you give people a second chance? Mm -hmm. And the consequences and the, the pros and cons of that. Because let's keep it real. There's a lot of people free that need to be in jail. Some of y'all need to go back to jail. Y'all a little crazy. But then there's other people, if given the proper guidance and opportunity, they can take one mistake and turn it into a 20-year comedy career and then figure out a way to reciprocate that back to the community. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really where everything that I am now, that's where it started, man. Mm -hmm. I'm on borrowed time. I should have been in prison. Well, thankfully you're not. Thanks for that PM and that judge. I'm very thankful for that. Tell us about the type of comic you were before and what shifted for you. Oh, I was terrible. (laughs) I was a terrible comedian. It wasn't I was terrible. I was young. Yeah. I started at 19. So like my first five years of jokes was about book buyback. And (laughs) don't you hate it? You pay $300 for a book. They only give you $8. Man, I should have just, I'd have been cheaper to fail the class. <laughs> joke doesn't even work anymore because everybody's learning something <coughs> online. Um, I was a lot less invested in the future of the world mm-hmm. in my early comedy. It was just silly observations where I think I turned a corner, I'd say 2015, right before I got with The Daily Show, my comedy turned a corner where I felt more concerned about what's happening around us and why. And the more angrier the world became, the more cynical I became as a comic and trying to look at issues that are serious, but finding a different angle or different entry point on a traditional topic or a traditional conversation. Mm -hmm. So that became the new MO. And I think that ideology was part of what helped me get the audition for The Daily Show. Uh, Neil Brennan, who co-created Chappelle's show, I used to work his, he had a regular room in Santa Monica at the time. And from working there, Neil recommended me mm-hmm. to Trevor. And that was kind of how the process rolled of me getting on The Daily Show. But comedically, my sensibilities just started changing once I hit my mid-30s. And, you know, like, 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 like you could, for example, there could be an argument about recycling. I use this example where should you recycle? Should you not recycle? Should you get a bag when you leave the store or not get the bag? And that's always the argument. Get the bag. Don't get the bag. You don't need a shopping bag. The turtles choke on the bags. Okay. But have you considered the fact that I'm a black man? And if I leave the store with something just butt naked in my hand, (laughs) I might get shot in the parking lot. Now that's a crazy extreme, but it could happen. It's all possible. Because had, had, do, do black people not get tackled out of a store? I'm talking about, did you pay for that? So no, I don't support recycling. Hell, they get called up the police on just for being in the store sometimes. So no, <laughs> I don't support. So when you talk to me about recycling, I don't hear what you're talking about. But it doesn't mean I hate the earth. No. It just means I want to stay alive on it a little longer. That's all. So it's about presenting those prisms. And if I'm doing it properly... My comedy hopefully can present a prism of blackness that someone that's not black hasn't considered before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And somebody who is black can go, that's what the, I've been trying to tell y'all. Yeah. And at least put it in the proper words or context, you know, for people. One of my uh, favorite parts of the in no, one, in, in no One Loves You is when you talk about the people who have a trouble learning new perspectives. 
Like, you know, they figure they have their diploma. They're like, I've learned all I need to learn, but there's some things that change. And it's like, and they're just resistant to it. There's no life class. <laughs> when do you learn the new stuff? When, when society changes, you don't learn it because college is where you learn society. Mm-hmm. You, you get put around a bunch of different types of people and types of nationalities and lifestyles. And you learn everything you need to learn through that four years of observation. And you go, all right, all done. And then someone goes, nah, new rule. Uh, yeah, if somebody doesn't feel like they're a woman, they feel like they're a man, they want to be called he. Yeah. And people rebel. I ain't going to do Really? You're not going to do that? What does it cost you? What is it? How is your life affected by saying he instead of she? It's one less syllable. If anything, it's helping the environment. Because now you ain't using as much oxygen <laughs> to address a person. Like It's, it's so nonsensical to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that's where, that, that's, that, that, that is a good example because it's, it's this argument of whether or not someone has a right to be called what they want to be called. It's just, it's all noises with your throat. Mm-hmm. It's, that's all, core, core, like that's just a noise. It's yeah. not, so someone's just asking you to make a different noise that's when you it. call them. Like remove all politics from it. Remove religion, mm-hmm. remove whether or not you condone that lifestyle. Just boil it down to what noise are you making with your throat to acknowledge this person's presence? And to me, that's the third, that's the third perspective. That's the different, to me, that's the simplified entry point mm-hmm. into that argument. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's not about, well, I don't condone that lifestyle, but, you know, if my daughter brought home some, forget all of that. That's just another person. You mm-hmm. call Puffy P. Diddy. Every two years, Puffy changes his name. Y'all don't say a damn thing. Nope. Y'all just go ahead with it. Yeah. And I still call him Puffy. Yeah. Not to his face. Ice but. Cube's real name is O'Shea. O'Shea. But we don't call him O'Shea, do nope. we? No. Because he Cube. asked us to call us Cube. Yeah, yeah, he dropped the ice. Yeah, yeah. he's Cube. No, he's just Cube. He's over 40. He had to do it. it was smart he had move. to. He had to. Um, what is a topic you won't touch in your comedy? My family? Not yet, at least. Um... You talk about your mom a lot, though. I talk about my mom's opinions mm. about me or something like that, but like our actual relationship, my father especially, and I can't talk about my father without talking about my mother. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like when you talk about family, because if I get into family, now we get into deep, layered, yeah. really deeper material, some of it a little dark, and I feel like when you're talking about other people, you have to give, you have to respect the fact that they still have to walk this earth with you having said these things or said these truths or said things that maybe they're not willing to deal with or face or unpack. Mm-hmm. And it's not my place to talk about something that my mother was involved in, force her in the place of having to unpack. And she's still, she's still in the workforce. She's yeah. 30 years in higher education. So, you know, she working around all these mm-hmm. astute black people with, PhDs and all that and you know grown men who wear lapel pins but they ain't politicians like that, that you know them type of brothers yes I do <laughs> and them lapel pin but you ain't never ran for office brothers them, those are very astute white wine drinking black people I can't send my mom back into these boardroom settings if you're going so tell me about the time you was 
fighting with Roy's daddy that one. That was that was a funny joke. It's like, no, they don't want people to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that has changed, I'm very, very leery now about material about I have I'm trying to be more careful about speaking on the behalf of marginalized groups because it's not mm-hmm. my place. I can speak about the issue. I can speak about what my perspective is on that thing. But I think in the past, especially the comics that are woke or socially aware or whatever, you can you have to be very, very leery about talking about what's best for another group of people. Like I will never come out and say, well, here's what the gay people need to do. This is what y'all got to do. Like in my first special, um, I talked about how how there's a way for black people to study what the LGBTQ community has been able to get accomplished because if we look at the last 10 to 15 years of legislation, I would make the argument that the gay community has gotten as much done, if not more, than black people. That's true. And so the joke, the joke at the time was just about how there's so many words that you cannot say in the workplace now because the LGBTQ community fought for the right to make sure that, hey, stop doing that to us. We don't stand for that anymore. And if you use that word, we coming for your ass. And it's a ton of words on that list that you better not get caught saying at the job. Black people still working on the N-word. We can't get <laughs> one word out of people's mouths. The LGBTQ community up to like 47 more. So, and that was the, it's, a, it's an exaggeration, but even it's in still. that joke, it's not about, well, I'm here to tell y'all, don't do this to gay It's not my place. What I'm saying is they're doing this and that look like that's working pretty good. Maybe we need to do what they're doing mm-hmm. and bring it back to something that I'm dealing with. There's something in how it affects me residually, mm-hmm. you know, the ripple effects of that. So, you know, that's something where, you know, when you look at, when you look at what a lot of different groups are going through now, like, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the murder of trans women. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said about the treatment of the trans community and how that's very much swept up under the rug yeah. in a lot of broader national discussions. Mm-hmm. But for me, I cannot speak specifically on the, here's the solution to their issue. I can't do that. But what I can do is go, hey, this is happening, and y'all some bastards for letting that happen. At least acknowledge what's going on. And if I can do that, then, you know, maybe that's a contribution. You know, I don't don't pretend to be this be-all, end-all. My jokes are not the solution. If anything, they're icebreakers to a much bigger conversation. If I can do that, then I've done enough. Yeah. If it's more, great. If not, okay. So to to the question of what jokes to not do, I don't present myself to have the solutions for people and groups that aren't me Mm -hmm. because I cannot fully speak to those experiences. Something I've um, seen you do in the course of knowing you over the past couple of years is that you've really been an advocate for women, female comics, black female comics specifically. What is, why do you love doing that? And we appreciate you for doing that. I mean, I saw you at the Amanda Shields show I just saw oh, your post about um, Janelle James. Uh-huh, and, yeah. Uh huh. I've seen you at the Yvonne Orgy show. Yes. Um, uh, you just posted about, um, and I'm pausing because I'm like, is it Lonnie or Loney? 
Lonnie Love. Lonnie Love. Lonnie Love. Yeah. yeah. Hosting Essence Fest, mm-hmm. the real, all of that. Yeah, black women are funny, man. Black women are killing it. And I had a talk with Chloe Hilliard. Chloe Hilliard, um, very funny black woman comedian. Mm-hmm. She was working with Charlemagne the God for a while. She she's done her late night sets and you we know, have she's the same birthday. Oh, do <laughs> So I think that there is an inequity at the bottom of the food chain where black women don't get enough opportunities and at bats, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, all I can do is what I can do. So, you know, uplift the people that are shining. And when I'm working a comedy club that will give me that leverage, I do try to bring a black woman to open for me. And that's also an energy thing with my audience. It's a great, it's a great synergy yeah. in the crowd or whatever. But I just think that there are a lot of doors. Chris Rock said something a long time ago that stuck really, that stuck with me. He said, if I see a white comic in a room and a black comic in a room, and they're both of equal ability, I'm going to help the black comic because somebody going to scoop up the white boy. Yeah. Somebody going to get him. He'll be fine. Mm-hmm. The black one, if I don't help him, I don't know. I don't know who will. You know, um, I love what's happening right now with uh, Robin Thede and mm-hmm. what she's doing over at HBO. And, you know, it's, I was very, very, I was very disappointed that BET canceled Robin Thede's show. That was a really smart very, show. Very, very disappointed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't speak to everything that goes into canceling the show. What I will say is that BET has for sure doubled down on their mandate, which was scripted television. So I'll just respect it as a change network programming philosophy okay fine Mm -hmm. because it's not like they're not giving roles to black women on all these other shows and prominent black women so i'm not going to say you don't like black women that's an inaccuracy but for what thede was doing in that late night satirical comedy space that is male dominated Mm -hmm. that one hurt man yeah. That one, that one hurt, and that's the homegirl, and you know. But I love what she's doing now. She's got the sketch, the all black woman sketch show mm-hmm. that they're gonna be doing for HBO. Um, I just I love black women, man. I was raised by one. I'm in a relationship with one, so you know I like working with people. And black women are hilarious, and I just think that there has to be there has to be more change at the lower levels in the comedy clubs for that to really affect change at the top. Mm-hmm. You know, you really look at someone like, say, Tiffany Haddish. It's infuriating. It's infuriating to watch. It's infuriating to watch white people act like Tiffany Haddish just happened. Yeah. And we all know. She's been here. She's been cooking for 15 years. Mm-hmm. 20 plus cooking. And y'all wouldn't check in. Y'all wouldn't book her to even do a middle act somewhere in Sacramento. That's why I love it. I love all the women she's doing mm-hmm. now because it's deserved. They did, they did Bernie Mac the same way. It's even worse with black women, but like they just, they're blind to so much good talent that just exists. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. So anytime there's a black woman that's kicking good stuff, um, you know what? And let me go and give a shout out real quick right now. 
uh, to Marie Faustin on Vice. Vice Live is a new show. It's a four-person roundtable. She's the only black woman on it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of there's other people of color on the panel or whatever, but Marie Faustin is going to be a star. And if Vice does not back up the Brinks truck to pay her, <laughs> I'm t- I'm calling it right now. She'll be gone in a year. Okay. She'll be gone in a year. She glows. It's only two episodes in. And she glows from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. every night on Vice. Y'all watch Marie. I, I'm sure the other three people are fine. I don't know them. Never met them. They're all part of the, the whole situation. But Marie, for sure. All right. Thank you for that tidbit. Thank you, Roy Williams. Yeah, y'all watch her. Okay. I have to think of, I have to think of some new black women. Yeah, that, maybe I should. But see, now, see that's, that's where it's on the edge. So that's a perfect example where, like, in my brain, my brain just went, yeah, I need to be recommending more black women. To, <laughs> yeah, black women. Yeah, here's a black woman to watch this week. And then my brain goes, it's not your place. To <laughs> what you need to do is tell a black woman which black women and let that black woman be the one to present the black women because that's the proper way. Because we're in a world now, creatively, where I feel like, and rightfully so, you want to see representation coming from the people that best look like you and mm-hmm. best who you feel walk your walk. And I think that's the better way okay. to go about stuff. Because then otherwise, I just look like some dude. Don't I love black women? Look at all these black women. I well, and I want to underscore to the listeners that because I've seen you out, it's, it's very genuine, the support you have for these female comics that I've seen you. I've just, and that's just me standing across the room and watching. I was like, oh, wow, this is like, and it's also like you guys have a real um, a brotherhood, a sisterhood. Mm-hmm. It's a family. It seems very oh, yeah. familial. Yeah, I love. I, the, only Amanda Seals can get me on her podcast and roast me about the way I live my life, <laughs> <laughs> like a damn auntie. <laughs> but you know, it's real talk, and that's all. That's authentic. I think you can only have that authenticity if you actually are mm-hmm. friends. Yo, I can take you back to when me and Yvonne Orgy, man, we doing like six p.m. open mics in L.A. Ooh. like. Sun's still out. <laughs> I didn't even know the club opened that early. <laughs> no, it wasn't the club. It was a coffee shop. <laughs> oh, okay. What you talking about? <laughs> this is way, way back. Wow. Yeah, man. She was telling me, she said, I got an idea for a show about, and this is like 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. somewhere in there, and maybe 07, 08. I got a show because I'm Nigerian. I'm the first generation Nigerian. I just think I want to do a show about being Nigerian and what that's like. I was like, all right, yeah, do your thing. And sure enough, here we are. She and already got the concept, shopping yeah. it, selling it. In a time, in a tone, in the country, where being a first-generation immigrant is a story yeah. that everybody wants to hear about. I saw her. I saw the pilot. She was ahead of the yeah. curve. Yeah. So it, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's talent out there. Mm-hmm. All right, before we wrap up, I have a few more things. So what's the last thing that you've been watched? Um... I'm watching American Soul on BET, mm-hmm. but I kind of watch that from a weird self-help way because, well, number one, my father worked with Don Cornelius. My father was one oh, of wow. the first people, this is a funny story, my father was one of the first people to invest in Soul Train when it was still a local show. Oh, wow. And Don Cornelius offered my father an opportunity to be an executive producer. Mm-hmm. And my father just didn't see the dream. He's just like... <laughs> I don't know if people want to dance for watch black people. I don't know if I don't know if there's a market for black people dancing for an hour and just that being making you rich. Just give me my money back, Don. 
that was that. Give anything on network, you know. Of course, I love Blackish. Um, I enjoy corporate on Comedy Central, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a company man. It really is a funny show. I'll have to watch. Yeah, it's it's if you've ever worked in any type of office or corporate or professional setting, it's it's a home run. That show you on oh, Netflix, Netflix. Well, that was my next movie. With surprise. the dude stalking. The whole show, if you've never seen the show, you it. it's about a it's about a white guy who's stalking a woman that he's dating. So he's basically spying on her and then using the stuff that he learns from spying on her to help manipulate the relationship. Uh, you know, okay. he's low key a serial killer, but it's a creepy it's a very, very creepy show because you know it's too close to reality. It's like Black Mirror, which is yeah. another one that I try to watch. But it scares me so much because I go, that could really happen. And I don't. So much stuff is really happening. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I can watch Child's Play. Like, I can watch weird Chucky type stuff. Like, Get Out. I didn't. I enjoyed Get Out, but it left me horrified for like a month and a half. Because you know they like, filmed that in Alabama? Yeah, down in Mobile. Yeah. yeah. And like, that feels like something that's really happening in Mobile. So I'm like, white people brain surgery. That might be happening yeah. somewhere. That could be <laughs> happening. So it makes me uncomfortable. That's why, man, I'm scared to see us from Jordan Peele. It's to the point now, like with Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele went full creepy. I just, hey, man, I just got to buy a ticket to support first weekend and just not go. Yeah. I'm going to go on Fandango and just buy three tickets to us and stay at home and watch I really, soccer. I want to support him, but I'm really scared of scary movies. And yeah. I have a feeling it's going to really fuck with me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's it's gonna <laughs> devastate you. You're gonna be right there because I got to be in the conversation on Monday morning when Black people start talking about it. That's true. I don't want to be I left out of the conversation. I can see your skit on Daily Show right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Straight nervous. All right. What else would be we would be surprised to see saves on your Netflix account? Boomerang is good. Yes. Like, a little young for me. World but of I dance. Watch it. World of dance. Okay. The reality shows are my girlfriend. Reality shows oh, are my oh, girlfriend, so I don't, okay. you're going to see Bachelor, Bachelor. I watch it, but it's not like I'm at home. I can't wait to see <laughs> who Neo likes this week on World of Dance, but I watch it. How is Whiskey Cavalier? I haven't watched it yet. Okay. It's, oh, it has it's, a little bit. Okay. It, just, it just premiered recently. Shows like that, I let three episodes build up in the DVR, and then I watch all three, and then I know. Miracle Workers? Miracle Workers, TBS with uh, Daniel Radcliffe, Harry yes, Potter. Harry you know, Potter, you know, yeah. Black people only know you from your one role, <laughs> and you just be here. That boy going to be Harry Potter to black people for the rest of his life. That's so messed up. He will be. I take it all these red carpet things are uh, your girlfriends, mm-hmm. but I love her. That, the, you know, the fashion, you know, she do the shoes. And come on, you so do watch be, Fix My Life, though. Ayanna? She be yelling at them people. <laughs> yes. Ayanna, that's my pick. That's my pick. That's not hers. That's me all day. Tell me about um, Tone Bell. Is he good? I like Tone Bell. Tone Bell has kept a sitcom in his back pocket since like 2013. Plus, he got a beard. You know, that's what everybody into. Oh, the bearded man. Yeah. yeah. No, he's one of the uh, co-stars of Fam on CBS right now. So mm-hmm. you know, he's doing the damn thing. CBS getting a little black over their casting. I don't know they if you picked that. They got old Sid the Entertainer over there. They got the um, I can't think of his brother's name. Damn it! But he's Louis. I'll tell you a show I like. Damn, I forgot. I didn't even think about this show. God friended me. Oh on yes, CBS. Mm-hmm. he was on uh, the mayor. Yes, yes, he was mm-hmm. the lead on the mayor. Brandon Michael Hall on God friended me. 
That's a great ass show because mm-hmm. it's feel good. It's warm and it's people going through things that you, you never know who's going through what. And a stranger might come along and help you fix your problem. It's, it seems cheesy, but it's a good show. It's well acted. It's well executed. I'm a huge fan of the brother. Like that's, that was a show that I watched at the beginning of the year. I was like, like, like a thug. I was like, let me go and watch the second episode. See what, see what God told him. Who God told him to go see? What's going on in this shit? Yeah, basically, he's just a dude down in his luck. God mm-hmm. sends him Facebook messages, and he goes and helps these helps these people, like some touched wow. by an angel, okay. type thing. But oh. with Facebook. Speaking of touched by angel, angel, we saw your review of this year's Oscar noms. <laughs> Yo, I forgot which. I don't know if it was the favorite. You were like, "Yeah, I'm not watching a movie about with." You were like, "I can't." I, I don't just, watch white people <laughs> in wigs. He's like, "I can't." I can't. Well, I do say, "Old chap, it's a jolly good time." Are there any blacks in this film? I don't believe so, as we are wearing wigs. So we want to get your Oscar rev- your reviews on these past movies. So first one is Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights is a movie about a dude that... Uh, Harlem Nights is a movie about a dude that shot a lady in the pinky toe. And then later after that, she felt bad and she gave him a sip of orange juice. That is my favorite part of that movie. She, he was like, she was like, oh, now you shot me in my pinky toe. And she said, come on, motherfucker, come on. All right, anyway, all right. Soul Plane. It's okay, Vera. We go <laughs> find your toe. <laughs> uh, Soul Plane. Soul Plane. Yeah, that one was a. You know what? Everybody tries to act like Soul Plane is a hood classic. Soul Plane was a good movie for its time, but yes. it does not stand up. I will say that with a straight face. I'd say it to Kevin Hart's face. I'd say it to Snoop Dogg's face. Lonnie Love was in Soul Plane. Also, Sofia Vergara. Really? Is in Soul Plane. She That's actually a, ended up helping fly the, land the plane. You know what? I she that would be like if I ever met Sophia Vergara, I would just come and tell her I love her in Soul Plane. Yes, just completely overlook Modern Family, everything. Beautiful twenty year career since this film. I just go. I tell you, when you really did your thing, Soul Plane. You need to do a Soul Plane too. Have you thought about doing a Soul Plane? That too? should be a thing that y'all do for every big white celebrity that started out on something black, like Tia Leone. Yeah, bad boys. Boys, bad boys. Like, yeah. no, let's talk about that. Let's talk about bad boys. <laughs> All right, two more. Coming to America. Coming to America is about two dudes from Wakanda who come to America. It's African tender. That's that's what coming to coming to America is basically moved by a dude who just came to America. Just like, let me just choose. You know how confident you got to be in yourself to just go to another country and just go. Which one of these women I'm gonna take home with me? And he got her. You can't even be mad at him. That's just about confidence. I said African confidence. I wish I had it. Yvonne Orgy, if you're listening to this, let me get some of that African confidence. Okay. Last one, Titanic. Oh, you don't want me to say <laughs> Go ahead. You Go ahead. Go ahead. So, you know, all right. So, Titanic is a movie. First off, it starts present day with the old lady out in the ocean like staring out into the water and then the whole movie is a flashback titanic is a movie about an old lady who has some sex so good she went back out into the ocean to reminisce about it she went back out into the ocean that's because they only had sex one time and she never forgot she never forgot they had sex when she was 20 she's 80 she still remembered 
went back out. That it was a horrific thing that happened. No. And she remembered the sex. That I, and I want all the women listening to this right now. Just think about any of your past sexual partners. If one of them died today, would you go back and visit the last place y'all had sex? Of course not, because it wasn't good. But that dude, Jack, Jack put it down. And that car, too? Oof. That's why I keep telling people, listen, I don't want this to steer off into bad relationship advice, but poor dudes always going to lay the best sex. That dude, Jack, he was broke. He was broke. When yeah. you broke, that's all you got because you trying to have sex and spend the night because you ain't got a home. These are just theories, okay? Look, you asked me to be open and honest. You did, and you were <laughs> I told you not to let me review it. Thank you, Warwood. <laughs> As we mentioned earlier, you can watch his one-hour special, No One Loves You, available on demand via Comedy Central and catch him every week hosting This Is Not Happening. Yeah, daily show, 11 o'clock, Monday through Thursday. Holler at me and Trevor Noah. And I love you on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter's a little ignorant. I got to slow down on Twitter. I mess around, say something stupid. Mess up the bag. Have to go back to building Corral. I hope you have a deep fry now, but I'm nugget. <laughs> 